Listen, if uh, I was to bump into you at a cocktail party, because now we can do that kind of thing. Maybe we're out together at a bar and I just wander up to you and I, and I started saying something like, uh, have, you, have you ever taken a look at Canada's competition policy? Would you just all of a sudden just make your a beeline for the door? Or are you just like, I, I got to be somewhere else. But hold on before you run away. There's Trust me on this. You need to understand what it is about competition policy and competition law in this country that informs so much of what we can do and what we can't do because we all, in some way or another, work for someone or work for ourselves. It's important to understand it. And whenever I get confused about what's going on with competition law, I check in with my next guest, Fast Bednar, Executive Director of the Master of Public Policy and Digital Society Program at McMaster University. Fast, great to have you on again. Alan, thanks for having me. I, I thought we were at the cocktail party together, ready well, to talk about competition in your intro. I, I, I'm so excited. <laughs> I, I need you at more cocktail parties that I attend because I, this is the kind of stuff I love. And you've written a great piece. And, and I learned a new term that I didn't know before, which is monopsony. What is that? Right. So monopsony is similar to monopoly, uh, a, a concept we're much more familiar with, but it refers to buying power. So when there's one, you know, buyer in the market that ha or one that has, you know, a ton of power, we refer to that as a monopsony. Okay. Now, how does that apply to digital platforms like Uber and, and so on? So some people, some scholars have made the case that platforms like Uber are monopsonistic. I, I actually made up that last word. But, you know, because they own and operate that labor marketplace, right, in the same way that when we're shopping, we see digital platforms own and operate, you know, those online marketplaces where we're shopping that gives them profound power to set the terms of competition, to influence prices, to influence who's coming up in search. We see that uh, gig workers or people who are accessing work on those platforms are similarly dependent, kind of they're algorithmically managed, right? There's a new kind of power, almost like a new kind of new manifestation of monopsony through these platforms. And that's why what we're putting forward with one of my research collaborators, Robin Shabon, we're, we're saying actually based on our assessment, there's a strong role for the provinces here that we could actually do more to tackle monopsony power head on instead of some of the symptoms of monopsony power, which we do care about in Canada's competition law. Okay, the, the province of Ontario and uh, Monty McNaughton, the Minister of Labour, was on Focus Ontario with me last week. I asked him a number of questions about the, the new legislation that Ontario has brought in, minimum wage, um, so on and mm -hmm. so forth. Is, is that tinkering around the edges? It's absolutely tinkering around the edges, but in a very productive way. So I was on a uh, independent advisory committee that advised Minister McNaughton, the Ontario's Workforce Advisory Recovery Committee, ORAC, not the best acronym. Um, <laughs> and one of the recommendations that came out under that report is very related to competition, and that's the province formally banning non-competes. Hmm. And another is reducing uh, the growing surveillance of workers, right? So workers who operate on a platform are subject to kind of data-driven surveillance that can penalize them in, you know, impossible to understand ways. For instance, if you don't accept a job within three to five seconds, you won't receive, you know, higher paying jobs in the future. This, I, I'm, it's not a perfect example of exactly how an algorithm might work on those platforms, but it's 
one of the examples that illustrates a how much power the platforms have, how much power workers don't have, and how we could probably do a little bit more to demystify and make sure that the terms of work are more fair and explainable. I'm speaking with Vas Bednar from McMaster University. Can you give me a sense of how many people would be classified as gig workers? And more importantly, the projection going forward, if we, if we have a real sense that more and more employment will head in that direction. You know, Canada has been struggling to get a great measure on gig workers. And part of that is because all kinds of work shows up as gig right? Babysitting, uh, independent contractors, people who might be consulting on the side. And that makes it really hard for us to talk about uh, all sorts of gig work because it tends to be lumped together. So it might be more productive for us to really think about, again, I'm not in communications. You can tell when when I give you this header, but algorithmically mediated work as a subset of gig work, I think is what we're most concerned with here. Because workers who are setting the terms of their work, truly working independently, you know, billing against their skills and experience and setting, again, setting the terms and and remuneration of that work are fundamentally different from workers who are subject to a boss who's an algorithm um, and who's, who's, who's setting and manipulating, frankly, the terms of that work as a function of their market power. Yeah, I understand. My, my, my boss is an algorithm is a different kind of deal for, for workers. Ab- absolutely. Can we just talk on, uh, talk briefly about um, non-competes? I'm very much surprised how quickly they have spread. You know, as a broadcast professional, non-competes is kind of part of my industry, always has been. But then to see it kind of, you know, just sort of proliferate across all sectors and not even be enforceable in the courts, just be a chill on being able to to move from place to place. Has the province actually successfully um, uh, addressed that? Well, in clarifying through policy, you know, what's actually already true in, in in a court sense, I think helps to educate employers, but also educate employees. Because as you said, these coercive terms and contracts were being used not just to chill workers, but as a form of intimidation sometimes. We see, you know, there's a court case in Ontario around Tim Hortons franchisees trying to prevent someone, you know, a Tim Hortons worker from then working at a Tim Hortons up or down the street. Um, This makes it really difficult for workers to have the kind of mobility they deserve, especially in this moment, you know, as we lurch our way out of the pandemic, where workers of all kinds have slightly more power than they did before, right? We're seeing the great resignation. We're seeing people reconcile with their relationship with work and want to take on risks or reskill or do something different. And, you know, the the stickiness of a non-compete making someone feel as if fearful or if they're they're not able to go to another employer, uh, it's not cool. It hurts worker mobility. And I think worker mobility is so important. Yeah. And it, it definitely, when when our bosses are algorithms, it's going to certainly make that uh, even more important. Vast, this has been a great cocktail party. I'm glad you came. <laughs> Thanks for the invite. <laughs> Vast Bednar is uh, a professor of political science at McMaster University and expert in competition law. Great to talk to you again.